This is a reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. The angel Gabriel visits Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible for God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. These words I'm going to read to you this morning are a gift from Sherry. To each of you and were a gift also to me. Yesterday about mid-morning over the email the subject line was emergency and I opened the email and it was from Sherry saying call me as soon as possible I need to talk with you. So I called and she was flat on her back and in pain and she said please just pray because I love Advent and I've written a sermon that I really want to be there to give. So my day went along, although in my spirit I had this feeling that I was going to give this sermon. And then I said to myself, in my very humanness, how presumptuous of you, Margaret. So we watched football, and I prayed, and watched football, and I prayed. <laughs> and the phone rang, and it was Sherry saying, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. The strangest thing, she said, I keep hearing your voice as I read my sermon. So we shared together. She said, I'm going to send it to you just in case. And then later in the evening, the phone rang, and here I am. So receive the gift from Sherry, because these are her words. I love experiencing Christmas through the eyes of a three-year-old. Steve and I took Jack downtown to the Santa Claus Parade on Friday morning, and it was really fun to see the excitement of his 
and all the kids' faces when Santa's sleigh finally made its way past at the end of the parade. I even saw some of that excitement on the faces of the adults around us too, but I don't know if they would admit to it. I also love to experience the story of Jesus' birth, the true reason for the season through a three-year-old's eyes. The other day as we were walking into church to go to Pebble Preschool, Jack seemed to notice the cross on top of the church for the first time. Look at the cross, he said excitedly. Why is it there? I paused and then I answered. It's there to let people know that we love Jesus, Jack. You mean the baby Jesus in the manger? Yes, and he grew up to be an older boy and a man. You remember the stories we've been reading. Yes, but how do we get into that story, Mom, he asked. You see, Jack still thinks there's a way to kind of enter into the pages of the books we read. Sometimes he physically tries to put his hand on a picture and participate in what's going on. Other times he daydreams or has sleeping dreams, which he calls having stories in my head. Well, in the rush of getting us and all our stuff into the classroom that morning, I didn't take much time to answer his last question about how we enter into the story. But as I reflected on it later, I began to realize how profound that question really was. How do we enter the story of Jesus' birth? How will you and I enter the story as we journey through Advent to the manger this year? Certainly of all the other images and demands and expectations of the season, they tend to make it difficult to focus on the simple but profound story of Jesus' birth. We're beginning a new sermon series today called Choosing Christmas. The idea behind the series is that we want to help you unplug the Christmas engine that leaves the station just about now and hurries us through this Advent season like a race to the finish line, where many of us, if we're still standing, fall over exhausted from too many trips to the stores, too many parties, too many cookies baked and eaten, and too much anxiety over what or who we may have forgotten. When was the last time on a first Sunday in Advent that the story of God about to break into our human world gave you goosebumps? When was the last time this news seemed so incredibly good that you wanted to enter the story and tell others about it with a twinkle of excitement in your eye and enthusiasm in your voice. I think this may be why we love to experience Christmas through the eyes of children. While children may not comprehend the full impact of God-made flesh, they experience the wonder, awe, and anticipation of Christmas. This year, we will wrestle again with the choice we all have to make. Will we anticipate Christmas with dread and anxiety or with hearts full of wonder that the knowledge of God's presence brings to this world. The story, A Cup of Christmas Tea by Tom Haig, which we invited you to read this week in preparation for our first Advent sermon, 
It's a poem about a young man who reluctantly accepts an elderly aunt's holiday invitation for tea. He went to visit her out of a sense of dreaded obligation. And here is a glimpse of what happened when this obligation turned into a holy interruption. My spirit fairly bolted like a child out of class and danced around the ornaments of calico and glass. Like magic, I was six again, deep in a Christmas spell, steeped in the million memories that the boy inside knew well. But these rich and tactile memories became quite pale and thin when measured by the Christmas my great aunt kept deep within, her body halved and nearly spent. But my great aunt was whole. I saw a Christmas miracle, the triumph of a soul. What a beautiful story about how God broke in unexpectedly to that young man's life. To his surprise, the visit reawakens all the wonderful feelings of Christmas that had stirred in him as a child. Faith, warmth, comfort, the joy of sharing, gifts he had somehow long lost along the way to adulthood. Today, our scripture readings are opportunities for us to reconnect to the wonder of this season. When the angel Gabriel first appears to Zechariah and then to Mary, we are reminded how improbable, how unbelievable his news must have sounded to them. With no time even to recover from the shock of seeing an angel, Zechariah is told that his wife of advanced years is about to have a baby boy who will become a famous evangelist. And Mary is told that she will bear the Son of God who will be called holy and whose kingdom will have no end. Today, we just hear the beginning of the story. Zechariah responds to the news with a shade more unbelief than Mary, at least as the angel judged such things. I've always wondered about that. Because of the two, Zachariah seemed more primed to believe. I mean, he was a priest. He was actually praying in the temple when the angel appeared. And the story implies that this news of a son was actually an answer to his own prayers. On the other hand, Mary, as far as we know, was minding her own business in her simple village house far from the center of religious activity in the Jewish world when the angel Gabriel came calling. And I think we can be sure she was not praying for a baby, at least at that time in her life. While both Zachariah and Mary initially show their share of fear and doubt, their responses were different. Zachariah needed more proof from God. Maybe he had lost his sense of wonder because he had been so focused on maintaining the religious rituals that were required of him. Maybe Mary was more open to this new thing God was doing, and that allowed her to be able to say these three amazing words, let it be. A poem by Anne Weems provides a glimpse into the meaning of Mary's story for us. Mary, Nazareth girl, what did you know of ethereal beings with messages from God? What did you know of men when you found yourself with child 
did you know of babies, you barely out of childhood yourself? God chosen girl, what did you know of God that brought you to this stable blessed among women? Could it be that you had been ready waiting, listening for the footsteps of an angel? Could it be there are messages for us if we have the faith to listen? In her openness, Mary teaches the church to listen, to listen for the whisper of the Spirit who comes imperceptibly into our lives with surprising grace, to listen to the Prince of Peace calling us to reconciling ministries in the world, listen to the songs in the air announcing the promise of life, listen to the word of the Lord proclaimed in the faith community, Listen in the thunder. Listen in the silence. And when we hear a word consistent with God's will to love, we are invited to follow it, pursue it, and live it with all we've got. Now, in case we get carried away by our admiration of Mary, it's wise to remember that she's an ordinary human being who does an extraordinary thing. She's part of the long parade of sinners and saints who have sought to live in relationship with God. She's like all the rest of us who receive the gift of God's undeserved love. If you read the Gospel text carefully, you realize that Mary is at different stages, perplexed, pondering, and afraid. She wonders aloud how the angel's announcement can be true. She is as full of questions as she is of faith. If Mary's not an ordinary person, then she has little to teach us. But given her low social status, her simple life, and her lack of maturity, it's no small miracle that she participates in the activity of God, too. She wonders how God can accomplish these things through her, but nevertheless dares to believe. She knows she's incapable of conceiving a son who will usher in a new kingdom, but the angel assures her that nothing will be impossible with God. She recognizes within the angel's invitation her own true calling. Believing that God chooses us to be partners in healing the world with words and acts that breathe hope into people's lives is what it means to be the church. Believing in the power of God to save is what keeps us engaged in the spiritual journey. In that moment when the angel tells Mary the astounding news, she's filled with questions but chooses to put them aside in order to say yes to what God is doing. And so it is with us. It is possible, even likely, that there are angels holding out new possibilities from God at this very moment. We too are filled with questions and ponderings whenever we feel the tug of God's spirit. We too are faced with moments of choosing how wide our hearts can open to the persistent call of God. Barbara Brown Taylor writes about these moments of decision in her sermon, Mothers of God. If you decide to say no, you simply drop your eyes and refuse to look up until you know the angel has left the room 
and you're alone again. Then you smooth your hair and go back to your knitting or your reading or whatever it is that's most familiar to you and pretend that nothing has happened. Or you can set your book down and listen to a strange creature's strange idea. You can decide to take part in a thrilling and dangerous scheme with no script and no guarantees. You can agree to smuggle God into the world inside your own body. You and I are ordinary people gifted by God's grace. When we listen for the word of the Lord with open minds and hearts, we too hear the invitation to do extraordinary things to make grace come alive in the world. We may not always feel blessed. Some days are better than others in that regard. But when we look beyond the singularity of our own existence, we see God at work in the world, reconciling people, healing relationships, and making life whole. We experience moments of holy interruption and divine surprise we begin to understand the deeper meaning of presence of blessing. Today, on this first Sunday in Advent, can we make ourselves ready for the footsteps of an angel? Will Mary's story have a message for us if we have faith to hear it? Can we dare to say yes to life and renew our hope in God's future? Can we begin to see the beauty already present in our lives and in our world? Can we begin to believe that nothing is impossible with God? And so for me, it all comes back to Jack's question. Mommy, how can I enter into the story? Let us pray. God of wonders beyond our wildest dreams, awaken us during this season of Advent to a spirit of holy wonder. Break into our lives and into our world with your redeeming love. Interrupt our traditions and our plans. Show us as we try to rush to the manger. Slow us, forgetting that the greatest gift we can give you is our worship and our love. In the name of the one who is always being born in us and through us. Amen.